In the city's most high-profile killing since the death of Tina Fontaine, Winnipeg has been rocked by the serial murders of four Indigenous women earlier this year. And there's controversy around the police investigation and whether enough is being done to recover their remains from an area landfill. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Winnipeg Sun reporter Glenn Dawkins joins me to discuss the investigation, what we know so far about the accused killer, and how this tragedy has strained relations between the police and the community. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Glenn, Winnipeg police, for those who haven't been following, have charged a man by the name of Jeremy Skibicki with four counts of first-degree murder. When did we first hear about him in relation to this, what is ultimately a horrific case? Well, initially, it started out like there, uh, I guess we shouldn't lose uh, track of the fact that there are these four victims of this uh, quite horrific incident. Uh, Rebecca Contois, Morgan Harris... Mercedes Myron, and a fourth woman who they've yet to be able to identify, who um, uh, local elders have dubbed Buffalo Woman, which uh, the police have kind of uh, taken on. And they're still trying to identify her to kind of bring some closure to her family as well. The the incident or the the case itself started back in May. I know I was called to a crime scene in our East Kildonan area on with our one of our photographers. And uh, it was Rebecca Contois. And uh, with her, her partial remains were found in a dumpster behind an apartment building. And, And then the remainder of her remains, the police for their investigation determined that she'd been hauled off to the Brady Road landfill, which is the the main landfill in Winnipeg. And then that's where they were able to recover the room. Well, I shouldn't say remainder because I'm sure there's some question about whether they have all the remains, but they were able to at least uh, the majority of her remains. But the other two victims who've been identified are still not, uh, their remains have not been, been found. And the fourth victim, they don't even know where her remains are currently, or at least that's what they're saying. They may have more. Uh, they've been very tight-lipped about the investigation itself, as you can expect, because they don't want to have something said today or yesterday or last week suddenly come back and be a grounds for uh, Skibiki to not be uh, held accountable for these acts. And yes, and I guess we should add that there is still a presumption of innocence. His, uh, his lawyer says he's going to plead not guilty and we will see how it goes. So in the initial case, is there any indication that he actually did know her? Um, the police may have a better sense of this, but from what we've heard, there is no indication. There's no indication that the two of them knew each other. Um, I know initially, when you get called to these crime scenes, sometimes the the go-to is that it's some kind of domestic um, violence incident, and we've had our share of those, as most communities have, unfortunately. But there's no indication that they knew each other, but that may be something that will be determined down the the road. And there's also no indication that 
I don't want to say new, but that he had any kind of firsthand relationships with either of the other two victims or the victim not yet identified. Now, as you said, there's two other identified victims and the and the fourth victim just identified at this point is as Buffalo woman. What led police to lay these additional charges were there was there evidence found at the apartment building or was there evidence found at the landfill where they found Contois remains that led police to believe that there are other victims here and we need to explore further into this well he was initially charged with first degree murder for Rebecca Contois and then they laid the additional three or first degree murder charges back in, I believe, early December. It was as a result of the investigation into the death of Rebecca Confois that they that they reached the you know that they were led to these other three uh, horrific homicides. Mm-hmm. What have police said about a possible timeline? for the killings. Do they believe all four of these women were killed within a short span in the spring or are we talking about maybe even more historical case? Um yeah, they're pretty sure that they were all killed within a reasonable a fairly close proximity, all basically in the middle of May. Looking at the accused himself and as you say obviously there's a presumption of innocence and his lawyer has insisted he's going to plead not guilty. But what do we know about Jeremy Skibicki so far? Well, I don't know about previous runs with police, but um, he did have a pair of protection orders uh, filed against him by one was by his former common law partner and the other was by his estranged wife. And the information from the applications, from what we can tell, is that he actually threatened to kill both of them. And, you know, they were in so much, you know, they were in such fear of them that they took out the, uh, the protection orders. Now, one of them ended up being dismissed. And uh, this is one that actually goes back to 2015. Uh, it was dismissed. It's not really clear why it was dismissed, but he was on probation for an assault against her. And so I, I, I guess the, you know, the one of the conditions of his probation is that he stay away from her and that he have no contact for two years. And perhaps the, the courts decided that was sufficient to, uh, you know, that she didn't need a protection order because this probation order was already in effect. And the other was, I believe, uh, 2019 was the uh, his estranged wife who would actually marry the year before and then. She filed for protection orders. So whether he was any further on their radar, they're not going to say. And that may be something or not maybe. I'm sure that's something that um, uh, will come out in his trial. He's due back in court, I believe, January 13th. But the lawyer who represented him, represented him at his first hearing, and it's a it's onto a direct indictment. Um, so they're not having a preliminary hearing. They're going straight to it. They, I'm sure, think they have enough evidence to be able to, to move straight to the trial portion of it. And, you know, he said he's got these reams and reams of information to go through. So I'm probably I'm not an expert or a lawyer. But I'm probably sure the next court appearance is going to be a task or continuance so we can go through it. But only time will tell. We'll be right back. 
do we know of any connection between Jeremy Skibicki and and the four victims? There doesn't appear to be a connection between him and the four uh, victims. Now, it may turn out that there is some kind of connection, but they're not saying, and uh, they're trying very hard not to prejudice any case that's against him. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to the the nature of these killings and and the fact that we're we're talking about you know women in a vulnerable community the investigation seems to have set off some controversy between police and victims families in the communities particularly around the search for their bodies what can you tell me about about that and what is the mood in the community around these deaths and the police's handlings of the case um yeah you've identified the the issue right away it's I'll give you a little bit of timeline. Uh, police held a press conference last week, I believe last Tuesday, where they laid out their, you know, why they were, uh, the police chief had gone on the record earlier saying they think they know where the bodies of two of the victims are, but uh, they just weren't going to, you know, they they couldn't search. They, they just, it wasn't feasible for them to search the it's this is a second landfill from the Brady Road, uh, the first landfill where Confaw's party was or her remains were found. He, they said they couldn't search. They brought up the head of their forensic unit to explain why they couldn't search. And um, going back a little bit, um, he'd made a presentation to the senior management of the police on the the search back in June, I think it was June 20th. And they estimated at that point, 34 days had passed since when they think the bodies were moved to the uh, landfill, which is just north of the city and that date. And at that point, I think they were estimating like 10,000 pounds of, uh, or the pounds or tons, I'm sure it's tons. Uh, a significant amount of debris had been moved to this uh, landfill because it's an active landfill. Um, and at that point, uh, I think he quoted that anything from that, you know, from the period where they think the bodies were moved there would have been under, uh, I think they said, 40 feet of uh, top or of clay and other debris and everything. So it was really going to be very difficult for them to to get in there and do a search. Um, um, they were, I don't want to say fortunate in the Contois incident or the Contois case that they could identify that the truck had, you know, they could pretty much followed the truck with its GPS, the garbage truck that picked up part of her remains and hauled and carried it off to um, the landfill. So they could narrow their search to a specific area of the landfill. This other landfill, they would have to search the entire four-acre landfill for it. And there's animal remains there as well, which I'm sure would interfere with the you know, any of their techniques of searching. Uh, it would end up being, and I, this is going to be important in a couple of seconds, but it would end up being like one of those archaeological digs that you see in um, you know in areas where they're they're excavating uh, old um, burial sites, and. That's the the latest thing is that the police are now open to the idea of bringing in some sort of outside experts 
people who have an expertise in this area to possibly go search the uh, landfill. But that was June 20th, and we're in the middle of December now. And um, the operations at that landfill have, uh, have been put on pause since last week. And the, the operator seems to be very cooperative with the police, but it's, it's going to be a massive task to, to go through all of that and come up with the remains and hopefully bring some closure to the families. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I imagine the families want that closure. That's been the message from the community that we have four indigenous women who were killed, uh, their remains discarded and it seems only only right in in their minds that the police make every effort possible to bring them that closure oh yeah uh two daughters of one of the victims morgan harris uh, who actually appeared at uh the same day the police were making their press conference on tuesday they were in ottawa for a press conference or not press conference but to put their case forward that the police need to need to search um, uh, I think the choice of words that the police chief had used to say it wasn't feasible has really raised a lot of hackles. It's really angered the, the community that um, the impression being left, and I'm, I've gotten to kind of know the police chief, not personally, but at least from my dealings on the, covering the police beat. Um, I, I think he's a, a fairly straight shooter individual, but you know, it left the impression that the police don't care. And I don't think that's the case, but the victim's families the proof is in what what you're you know the proof is in the police's actions and the police are telling them they're not going to search so it's kind of hard to uh it's kind of hard for them to accept that you know so there there's a uh there's been press conferences where people are are calling for the chief's resignation have community members taken any other action to to kind of try and get their point across as to how frustrated they are with the police investigation? Well, yesterday, Sunday, um, there were, in fact, uh, family members staged a blockade on the two landfills in question here, the Brady Road landfill, which is one in Winnipeg, and the other, the Prairie Green uh, landfill, which is just north of the city. And they've actually, they staged uh, uh, blockades of them, turning away people who wanted to... uh, dump their refuge. Uh, reports we indicate that, you know, some of the people were, you know, as in the people who were turned away were receptive to their, um, um, you know, to their plight. Others thought, felt it a kind of an inconvenience for them, but they turned everybody away. I don't know how long that's going to last. The police team, as you can imagine, extremely hesitant to do anything about it just because you don't want to throw gasoline on a fire. It's and they have every right to, you know, I'm sure they're blockading on public, uh, you know, on public land and they have every right to do that. And they have every right to be upset that that more is not being done. Mm-hmm. I I mean, looking at the victims, the, the three who we we know what have family said about them what do we know about them what do we know about their i guess the last time they were seen 
what have family said about them at this point? I know the the daughters of Morgan Harris have been very open about what you know that her their mother was you know a, a very happy go lucky individual. She was a grandmother, mother of five, and a grandmother. And you know they they really want to you know they want to get closure. They want a body so that they can you know move on with this, as in someone that they can bury. And it's you know it's heartbreaking to hear the families um, because they're you know they don't know what's happened or with their their loved one. There is a bit of history in Winnipeg that works, I think, against the police in that I'm trying to remember how far back it was. There was the Tina Fontaine case where a young teenage girl, uh, she was killed by a gentleman and he wrapped her in a duvet cover and dumped her body in the Red River. Some of the listeners may be familiar with somebody called Drag the Red, and that was a result from the Tina Fontaine uh, case and other cases similar to it, where First Nations and Indigenous uh, people have gone out on the rivers to find the bodies of their uh, their loved ones. So I think there's still a lot of suspicion on the part of the Indigenous community of the police force. Relations between the two communities have not always been great. Uh, I think they're better now, but there's always, I'm sure, that suspicion that they're, you know, that all of the changes, you know, and you still have these three women whose bodies haven't been recovered, and you know, they're, in, you know, they have called for the police chief here. His name is Danny Smythe. Have called for him to resign, and he issued a statement on Friday. Of course, being the police, they issued it at four o'clock on a Friday. When, uh, if anybody knows this business, uh, sometimes when you want to issue bad news, you issue it late on a Friday when hopefully no one uh, pays that close attention. But he he was quite, you know, he was quite blunt that he's not going to resign. So so we'll see how that goes because um, you know these things tend to get to a a kind of a critical mass where. You know, he may have no choice but to resign. That's still something that's hanging over this uh, whole investigation. Glenn, thanks for your time. No problem. After our interview, a coalition of Indigenous groups and leaders called on the federal government to do whatever needs to be done to get two landfills searched for the remains of the murder victims, citing police inaction. 103 is produced by Tyler Dawson, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Glenn Dawkins, more from him at winnipegsun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.